Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and really glad you're worshiping with us, and we would love to know that you are here. Uh, you can meet us out at the Connect Desk after the service. Just let us know who you are. As always, there's any way that we can help you, serve you, please let us know. How was everybody's Thanksgiving? Yeah, okay. All right. I feel that. So it, can be a, it, can be a tire, it can be a tiring week, but it was good. It was good. We had a good time. We're kind of in a new season, really, it feels like, for us. I mean, just kind of, maybe it's kind of dawned on me. It's been kind of this way, I guess, for a couple of years now, that we now, with two adult daughters, if, we have three daughters. Uh, May will be 25 in December, and then Lawrence 22, and then Layla just turned 11. Uh, we now, it's like, we, we, we now have, like, well the, well, the family comes home, right? I mean, like, we've got two adult daughters that are, that are living somewhere else, and, and so... It's kind of fun always to reconnect. I don't know how, how it is with you guys, but when everybody gets together, it, all, it very often just kind of turns into a series of stories of remember, yeah, you remember this, you remember this. Just kind of start roasting each other about weird, dumb things that have happened in the past, funny little stories. I mean, I can't, I can't get into them because if I did, you wouldn't understand them. And, the part, and to the degree that you did, you would judge us. But we were talking about things like when one, other, one of our daughters used to have a sign on their door that said, Rabid Squirrel Zone, Don't Enter. And we're teasing her about that. We we're teasing another daughter about the time we all called her Polehead. This is the kind of family we are. So we called her Polehead because uh, while she was at Disney World, she um, she hit her head on a pole, and um, and we're just we're just we're just mean. Um, you know, we talked about the time one of our daughters was had a recurring character that called Gibbles the dog. It was uh, and she would be this other person, right? They call each other Crunch Bunch, which I'm not even I'm not completely sure. What's going on there? But, you know, one story leads to another story. One nickname leads to a story. And we're roasting you, and now we're roasting you. And just kind of a, it just kind of turns into just kind of remembering all these memories. And we just, you know, the, when the five of us were together, we just had a great time being together and remembering. And, but beyond just silliness, there was also another moment where kind of a story really mattered, my oldest daughter, who again, she's she's about to graduate from John Brown in May with a with a grad degree to become a counselor, and so we're now one semester away, one semester plus away from her graduating. It's been a really tough two and a half years for, her, and she was just getting real emotional, just talking about how difficult it is, how hard it is, and just kind of it feels like everything is about getting this degree, and it feels like my life has been put on pause. And I was like, well, I, I know you don't remember this because you were you were three. But there was a time in our family like that that's what we were doing when I was getting my master's degree to, be, to become a pastor. And it was, it was, it was draining. It, it, it took a lot. It was like it was all-consuming really for the whole family. And we weren't able to connect as much. And, and I told her, I was like, I look back at that time with a lot of sadness really. Like I try not to remember it because I, I think about just how tiring it was, how disconnected I felt from you guys. And it can just be really, can be really tough. And so as she was kind of going through something very similar, a story from the past kind of just helps affirm and connect her and to, to a larger thing to make, her feel, to make her feel normal, to make her feel like, hey, this is just kind of part of it, and really just kind of connecting to kind of, you know, the legacy. And we all have stories like this. We also kind of have some of those next-level stories, the story of a grandpa, a grandma, you know, my, my, my grandmother's brother or whatever, these kind of legacy stories, for good or for bad, that really kind of define your family. 
that just kind of for generations to come, this is kind of one of those stories. And if you ever, when you're reading through the Bible, I mean, the Bible is very much, a lot more so, a collection of powerful stories than it is like just very clear, just kind of moral teaching. I mean, it's mostly the moral teaching is through the powerful stories. And we, and we have great stories. And very often, if you've ever done this, kind of reading through the Bible, you'll come across these genealogies. This person had this son, and this person had this son, and this person had this son. And depending on who you are, you might get to that point. It's like, oh, I was going to try to read through the Bible in here, but I can't do this. Or, like me, you're like, this is like free money, right? You, just kinda, you can just scan it go, da 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 I have read three chapters a day, boop, boop, and get bonus points, right? But it's like, but it, it's like there's obviously something there for them that remembering that is incredibly important to them, more so than it is probably for most of the people in our culture. And it, is a very, it, is, it was a very Jewish thing to be connecting the events of the present to where we came from in the past. So in the Gospel of Matthew, as we're kicking off our Christmas series today, in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the most Jewish, I'll say, of, of the four Gospels, written primarily for a Jewish audience. You will just see a lot of Old Testament references in there, more, way more so than you will in the other ones. A very, it's got a very Jewish feel to it. And as Matthew is thinking, hey, I want to tell them about Jesus coming to earth. So before he even gets into what, any part of the birth story, he starts with a genealogy. He starts with kind of the, you know, who, how we got here. And there's an interesting thing that he does. He starts with Abraham. He doesn't go all the way back to like the Adam or anything. He starts with Abraham kind of as the first, you know, the one that was called to be the, the, you know, the father of the Jewish nation, kind of the creator of that, right? He starts with him and he's kind of working his way down to, um, to Mary. And in the course of this genealogy, this person had this son, this person had this son. There are five times... There are five times in this story where rather than just saying this person had this son, he says this person had this son and mentions the mom, which is really unusual. I mean, it's just, and, and it's like, and you kind of are like, if you, if you do like, like why, would he, why, would he, why would he do that? And it is those moments, it is those moments when you're reading a story, when you're reading something in the Bible and you're like, well, that's, that seems different. That seems odd. That seems weird. That's different. That's out of place. What is that? These are the moments where we're meant, we're meant to slow down. And so what we're going to see is that there are five particular stories that as we think, as Matthew is preparing our hearts and our minds for thinking about Jesus Christ coming to earth. Hey, remember this story. This sto- I want this story to stand out amongst us. Remember this one. Remember this one. Remember this one. And what we're going to discover over the next four weeks together is that we're going to start with a couple of stories, including the one today. The one today is like, come on now. It's like, it's like, like why, why those? There's going to be a couple that be like, why, why would you bring that up? And then there's a couple that are just going to be perfect. Like, like you're going to see Jesus all in the story. It's going to be very clear foreshadowing. But there's a couple of these stories, including the one today, there's parts of it that are troubling. There's parts of it that are very disconcerting. It is, it is one of the oddest stories, um, I, I believe, certainly in Genesis, maybe even in the entire Old Testament. They're kind of like, what's going on here? Why would you include it? And especially now, 
why is Matthew trying to give special attention to this story? Because in each one of these, what I believe what, what Matthew is trying to do and ultimately what God is wanting to do is there's, there's some themes, there's some ideas, there's some things. When you think about Jesus, why he came, who he is, and what he wants to do in your life, remember these stories. So we'll start here. Um, and we'll just kind of look in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll just go here in this genealogy until we hit the, uh, the first one. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And we'll stop right here just real quick. We've kind of passed on some great women here. I mean, uh, Abraham and Sarah, um, Isaac and uh, Rebekah, Leah, the, the, the mother of Judah. It's not just like we're just taking, we're going to make sure all the women who are important, because really those three women, as far as their level of importance in Jewish history, certainly Sarah would be at the top. But we're skipping past those. So it's not just about how important they are. It is about some very specific things that Matthew is wanting to bring to our mind as we think about Jesus coming here. Okay, so right. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So here we go. We got first off, hey, um, you know, we have, we got, you know, if you can get our, our story here, we've got Abraham who was called out by God to start this new nation. He had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and following Jacob. And Jacob is the guy who had 12 sons who kind of became the heads of all the tribe. And now here we're learning who kind of of those 12 tribes, where Jesus comes from. And he comes from the tribe of Judah. And now we see that apparently he was conceived in this story that Jesus' great, 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 da, 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 grandmother was this woman named Tamar. And so we're going to go here to a story here in Genesis chapter 38. And maybe half of you have some familiarities. Maybe some like, I think I know what this story is. And half of you are like, why is he making such a big deal about this? And like in two minutes, you're going to be like, I'm sorry, what? I thought, I thought, this, was, I thought this was Christmas. All right, so here we go. Genesis chapter 38. Again, we got Judah, uh, one of the sons of Jacob. Uh, verse 6, Genesis chapter 38. Judah got a wife for Er, for er his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Make sure we kind of understand what's going on here. Kind of... Um, you know, she you know, found a wife. Apparently, God put this son to death because of his wickedness. And in this tradition, in the tradition that they had, he was still, like the family was supposed to still provide a family for the firstborn, for this son. And so, in the tradition, the wife would then become the, become the wife of the next son, and then she would have children, but those children would be in the line of the son that was now dead. I know that sounds weird, we could spend some time hanging out there, but that's really not kind of where we're going. I just make sure we understand that. Kind of that, that now he, the, next, the next son is obligated to take her on as his wife to provide a family for his now dead brother. Okay? Verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. So Judah then takes her. It's like, hey, okay, now 
Now, oh, now, now you need to take her as your wife, but not to provide kids for yourself, but provide kids for your, for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, it's the 50% who know the story. He spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Now, I feel like, I, need, I mean, it's very important to me, anytime I do this, kind of make sure we understand where the story's going. And um, this story gets used a lot, and I feel like I need to bring it up, because depending on where you went, this is used in youth groups all over America to say things that I don't think are necessarily appropriate to what's happening here. Basically, he would go in to have sex with her, and, and, and would, you know, would, would pull out and spill on the, on the floor. And it says, like, whenever he did this, it wasn't just one-time deal, like, this was his habit. Because he knew, like, I don't want to have to care for a son that's not mine. So he would do this. But he would still go through the process of enjoying it, right? And some people will use that. And again, I apologize. will use that to say that masturbation is wrong. But again, I'm not making a statement about that one way or the other. What I am saying, though, is that's not what this is. What this is, is this man refusing to fulfill the obligation that he had to take care of his family. He was very selfish and took advantage of this woman. And, and, and would use her, but not do what he was supposed to do. And so this is, this, is a, this is a stain on his character because of his lack of willingness to be selfless and fulfill this obligation that he had to his dead brother and to his dead brother's wife. Verse 10, again, what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. So now you're Judah and you've got two sons and they're both dead. And you don't really know what Judah's insight was. M- Moses, who was kind of the one that was putting the story of Genesis, is, uh, these stories together, writing this for the people coming out of Egypt. So he's putting these stories together. I mean, he had a divine insight from God about kind of what was going on behind the scenes and God's involvement. Now, I don't know what Judah thought, but we do know this. He thought he was jinxed. There's a problem here. I've got two dead sons, and I don't know what the cause of it is, but I'm scared to give her now to my third son because I don't know what's going to happen. And he was a little young, the third son. He wasn't quite ready to be married. He's like, he's like okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to put you over here for a little while, but when he, you can be his wife later, because it was Judah's responsibility to care for her. But what happened is the son got older and began to have a family, began to have wives, but he, he, he left Tamar aside. She, she was, she was kind of being ignored, which gets us to the next part of the story. If the story wasn't... Enough already. Verse 13. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Tirna to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timna. For she saw that though Sheila, that's the other brother, had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and he slept with her and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. 
So she disguises herself as a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law into having sex with her, and she gets pregnant. And so I want to make sure that we understand kind of where we're coming from here. This is part of Jesus' origin story. This is how his great-great-dot-dot-dot-dot-grandfather came to be. This story. Like, you think about legends, you think about Jesus, and you think about kind of how... You would have like no, it'd be nothing but epic and great stories. This is this is a very disturbing story, and it's not disturbing because we're reading it thousands of years later, and this would have been like totally normal and cool when it happened. No, this was this is this has always been a troubling story, and Matthew is again he is bringing special attention to this. So she tricks him, and she's pregnant, and then ultimately. You know, she, and she has, you know, he's supposed to, you know, hey, I'm going to give you a goat, but I don't have one on me right now. I'll go get it. So will you give me your pledge? He's got this little, so essentially his, the equivalent of his kind of his signet ring, his family seal. Take this as my pledge. So that way you'll know I'll come back. He comes back and she's gone. She's not there. And he's like, I've been, I've been hoodwinked, been bamboozled. Oh, he's like 1920s guy or something. I've been, I've been snookered. He's been, he's been tricked, right? He's, he, he, he goes there, he, where's the prostitute that usually sits here? And everybody around is like, there's never been a prostitute here. And he's like, oh, goodness. I hope this story doesn't get out. And so fast forward, verse uh, 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize who seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. So he, they, she's discovered. Obviously, she's pregnant. He's like, and Judah's like, well, we gotta, we're going to burn her alive, which is way intense. I mean, that, I mean, it's just way intense. And, 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 and it's wrong. It's just wrong, right? And, he's like, and she's like, again, very, apparently very clever here. He's like, here, well, just take a look at these, and then you'll know how this, how this came about. And then he is just like broken. Not just about what he's done, but about the situation that he had put her in in the first place. He put her in this situation. Like, he's like, I, was, I, I had an obligation to you that, and, I, and I failed you. And it's really interesting. We're going to focus a little bit kind of about what this means for, for Tamar. This is an interesting piece in Judah's story because we're going to, this is one of kind of three times that we get him. First is, it was his idea, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, it was his idea to sell his brother Joseph into slavery in the first place. Joseph goes to Egypt and is a slave. It was his idea. He was like, I mean, I guess we could kill him, but what if we sold him into slavery? That way we can make some money and then just tell our dad that he's dead. So that's our first intro to him. And then we have this, and in the end, ultimately, he is willing to sacrifice. We see him willing to sacrifice himself to save his youngest brother, I got uh, Benjamin. And so this kind of functions a little bit in Judah's story as a middle act in his, in his arc. But in this story, again, as he references Tamar, this is the story 
This is the story that he wants us to remember. And this story does not have an, a happy ending. There's no like, oh, okay, well, it's good. Well, things were really bad and things were scary. And then the hero kind of came in and made things all better again. We're going to get a couple of those as we get to Christmas. We're kind of breaking this down. We're doing them not in chronological order. We're going to do the two that are like, what? And then as we get closer to Christmas, we're going to be like, okay, we're going to get more to the kind of the more traditional ones that when you hear them, you're going to feel like that's Christmas. But this isn't Christmas. This is, I mean, there's, there's nothing Merry Christmas about this. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great story, man. Merry Christmas. Shake each other's hand. Hug your way on the, on the way out. This is just like, what? Why would, I, why would he want us to remember this? What is it here? And there's a couple of things that I think that is important for us to note it. Just to kind of notice about this story as we think about Tamar and what she was going through, what she was experiencing. And the first one is this, is that Tamar, she was, she was forgotten. She was abandoned. She was alone. She was isolated. All of the people who was, who it was their obligation to care for her, to give her life, to give her a place in their society, to give her what she was entitled to, everyone in her life had failed her. Her first husband was wicked. Second husband failed to fulfill his obligation. And the father-in-law who was in charge of it all was failing in every possible way. And those were his kids. The ones that God decided were so wicked just needed to be taken off the board. And then failing to really provide for her, she is alone and isolated. She has no one. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. I mean, most people, most people have a story. You know, I mean, most people, you, know, you got a story where either you left your kids somewhere or maybe you were the kid that got left. I got left at church once when I was a kid. It wasn't that big a deal. It just meant more playtime with my friends. I was young. I didn't, I didn't care at all. I mean, my dad was kind of embarrassed about it, but I didn't care. I was having a great time. That's not, that's not my real story comes from a road trip, and I was young, and I was, I was the kid that always, I was the one that was always making a stop to have to go to the bathroom. I've been like this my whole life. Um, so we're going there, and I have to stop, and we go to this bathroom, and it's got this really heavy metal door to get in, and I had no problem getting in. I was in there using the bathroom, but I could not budge that door to get out. I could not move it at all. And my little six-year-old heart and brain, I don't know necessarily why I thought this, I had no reason to think this, they'd never left me before, my heart and brain was just like, well, this is it. They're going to keep going, they're going to leave me, and I'm going to be left here alone, and I am just bawling my eyes out in fear of like, well, this is it for me. I guess this is where I live now. I mean, this is just kind of like, this is, I mean, this is where, this is where my little heart was. And what felt like an hour and a half, but I'm sure was probably only 90 seconds, right? My older brother comes in. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I got over the door. Like, get in the car. And like, it was really like a, kind of an unceremonious ending. But in that moment, fear, desperation, I'm alone. I have no one. I've been abandoned. This is what I'm feeling. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever felt that. If you've ever been the kid that was left you don't have to be a kid left alone in a gas station to feel that. To feel like that there's no one in your life that really sees you. Like what is really going on in my heart? 
Someone really knows me and cares about the things that I'm feeling and I'm going through and my struggles and my challenges. And it feels like that everybody in my life who's supposed to be taking care of me, they're not there. They don't see me. And, 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 and I feel alone. And I feel like my only hope is I, I, I've, I've got to do something. And very often, again, it's not this extreme, but I think extreme stories are put in the scripture to kind of jolt us. It's like, I've got to take care of something and I've got to do this myself. And when we do it ourselves, it kind of very often ends up like this. Were you taking care of it yourself? I mean, it just, it just makes it, we'll, just, we'll say it this way, right? She was forgotten and her story's chaotic. This is a chaotic story. It just kind of goes from, from bad to worse, from weird to weirder. To, to I, I mean, first husband dies, second husband dies. Now she's alone. She takes things into her, into her own hands and tricks her father-in-law into thinking he's a prostitute so she can get pregnant. And then, you know, reveals in the end, right before she's about to die, about to be burned alive. Wait, no, check this out. And then, and then it's say, and you're like, and then in the end you're like, yay, good job, everybody. It's just chaotic. And again, there is no, there's no Jesus figure that comes in in the end. Again, a couple of weeks, we're gonna have a couple of really beautiful stories of people kind of playing that Role, the role of a redeemer, the role of a savior, the one of a, a helper who can come in and mend the broken, plate, the broken pieces. But here, all we have is the brokenness, the chaos. And I was mindful of this. I was thinking about this this week. I was just thinking about all the families that we have in our church and have had in our church that have, be, that have been foster parents. And just the, the, the great number, the dozens of awesome kids that we've had over the years here in our church just to be able to love. And I'm a big admirer of foster families. We were a foster family at one time. Um, we had the privilege 11 years ago of, of bringing home a, a foster uh, baby girl that we then had the privilege to be able to add to our family, to be a part of our family. It's been great. But every one of these stories, these precious little ones that come in to our church there's not a great reason why they're here. There's not a good story. There's not, it's, not a, it's never a feel-good story. They're never in this situation because something good has happened. It's, it's, it's chaotic. And I admire the families that are willing to step into that and say, I'm, go, I'm going to love in the chaos. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show love. And then I see, I see not only the foster families, but I see all of you, whether you're their Grove Kids teacher or their small group or their friends are just kind of rallying around these kids that come from these chaotic situations. But again, you don't have to be a foster kid or a foster parent to ever feel like my life is chaos. I think we've all felt this at different times in our life. Or maybe you just kind of like, I just feel jinxed. It just feels like nothing's going right. I'm making bad decisions. Bad decisions are being made around me. I can't seem to catch a break. And it just seems like wherever I look in my life, there's chaos. And this is where Tamar is. 
She's alone. She's isolated. She has no one. Her life is just chaotic. And why would Matthew want us to be thinking about this story? Because what Jesus does is he brings hope to the forgotten and he brings peace to chaos. This is what Jesus does. When Jesus came, he did not come here on earth as a great and glorious conquering king born in privilege. He came born in the most humble of circumstances to the humblest of families and spent his life loving and serving the people who had been forgotten. The, the poor and the isolated, the, the, the people who were considered immoral and outcast, the people who had diseases that put them on the fringes of society. He came to them. They've been forgotten by their Jewish community. And even the, mo- the best of the Jewish people lived in an occupied state. By the, they, were, they were occupied people being governed by the Romans in a dictatorship. They, were, they, were, they weren't even really considered real people. And, so, and Jesus spent most of his time with the people who were on the fringes of that. The poor, the hurting, the forgotten, the isolated, those who were alone. And Jesus steps in to their lives. I, I see you. You matter to me. You matter to God. And what a chaotic world they lived in, a conquered people, and had been for generations, for hundreds of years. Not one of them knew somebody who knew somebody who knew what it was like to not be a conquered people. And they were poor, they were taken advantage of, and Jesus came to give them peace to give them life. And that same Jesus is wanting to do that for you. If you feel alone, if you feel unseen, Jesus sees you. If you feel like your life is like a a ship caught in a storm, Jesus has come to bring calm to the storm in your life. He's come to give you peace in the chaos. He has come to give you hope and life in this world and the next if we will put our faith and trust in him alone. That this Jesus who lived in such a way to kind of live for the people who were isolated and the outcasts, he also sacrificed his life for all of us so that we could be reconciled, that we can be redeemed, that the worst of what we have experienced can be forgiven, can be redeemed, and we can have life. That is why I love some of the worst stories in the Bible, the most troubling ones, the ones that are just full of just kind of yuck, because like, this is, this is what Jesus came to save, and I know he came to save those and redeem me from the same things in my life, the worst parts of me. Jesus doesn't, when we ignore the worst stories, We begin to believe that Jesus has not come to bring life and to redeem the worst parts of me, to bring hope to the darkest parts of my life. But we will see today, we'll see it again next week, 
that it is in these darkest, most hopeless place that Jesus comes to bring hope and life to everyone. And I hope that if you have never really fully put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today could be your day. Some of us, we come here because we're trying to get better. We feel like we need a little religion in us. But what we need is the redemption that comes from putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I pray that you will make that decision today if you never have. And I pray that all of us, those of us who understand that, have done that, that we'll come back to it. That we'll get out of this loop of like, well, I know Jesus comes to save me so I can go to heaven. But now I've got to manage the chaos of my life. I've, I've, got, I've got to do this. And now it's up to me that we can come back in this Christmas season to re-energize, to refocus our hearts and our minds to the grace and the goodness and the hope and peace and life that comes from Jesus Christ. Because no matter what is going on with you, no matter how isolated or chaotic your life may be, Jesus, he sees you and he wants to give you hope. Let's pray. God, I do. I thank you for these stories where people just, they just mess everything up. And it seems sometimes it can just, you can feel hopeless. And God, I pray that those of us who are in that situation, God, that we can connect with that. And God, that we will not walk out of here feeling that anymore. We would not feel isolated. We would not feel chaotic. But that God, that you would be the giver of peace and hope and life today. And that God, that none of us would walk out of here believing that we are the ones. We're the ones that are supposed to restore order, to bring peace, to bring life, to bring hope. That God, that we would let you do it in us. And God, then that we can be carriers of the hope that comes from your son, Jesus Christ, to a world full of people who feel unseen, whose lives feel chaotic. And that God, in our, in our individual lives, in our church, in our community, that the hope and life that comes from Jesus Christ could be real everywhere. We love you, God. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.